Hello, everyone. Welcome to Laser Focus. This is the Deep Dive Pop Culture Podcast from Nerdist. My name is Kyle Anderson. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we have a really interesting and uh, uh, fun special episode today. Um, it's uh, You will not be hearing me very much, and that's a treat for everyone. <laughs> no. Um, uh, right now, I'm joined by um, a friend of the show, a current uh, past and future guest. That's such a weird way to say that. Anyway, uh, Ty Gooden's here. Hi, Ty. Hello. Hello. Um, and so Ty had uh, come up with this really interesting idea for an episode for this month, um, it being Black History Month. And um, and yeah, so it's and, and sort of about uh, talking to somebody who uh, worked on Milestone Comics um, and um, and is a is a uh, black comic creator. And that is something that. Uh, even still, like when Milestone started, was a rarity, and is even still kind of a rarity. Which is, uh, I, I will, I was going to say it's unfortunate, but it's the world. So anyway, yeah. but I wanted to, um, uh, yeah, Ty. So what did what was your kind of what is Milestone Comics? First of all, for those of you who don't know, but then how how did you get uh, in? Uh, how did you become aware of them, and also of Micheline Hess, who is our guest for the, the episode? Yeah, yeah. So I'll start off with uh, what Milestone Comics is. So Milestone Media was actually a company founded by a few black male com- black male comic creators back in the early 90s. Um, it was uh, Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cowan, Michael Davis, and Derek T. Dingle that all came together um, because they just wanted to address the lack of representation in the comic industry, not only behind the comic pages, but also on the page as well. So DC Comics was actually Milestone Media's parent company, and they helped to distribute their whole like Milestone Comics uh, arm, which gave us a few characters that we know today, like uh, Static Shock, Hardware, Icon, and Rocket of Young Justice fame. Um, It also established uh, the Dakotaverse, which of course is where everything within that universe took place. That's where a lot of the characters were from. So it really was its own universe separate from what you get with DC, separate from what you get with Marvel at the time. Um, Milestone Comics, of course, centered around Black stories and Black characters. And it really, those comics really did a great job of telling like bold and honest truths, um, sometimes to the point that it would get pushed back from uh, general readers who who didn't quite understand why those things needed to be addressed in comics. Um, there was also definitely some friction between DC Comics and uh, the Milestone Media leaders too about what should appear on pages and what people should and should not be discussing. Um, so the comics division stayed around for a few years before it kind of shut it down in the late nineties. There was a bit of a dip in comics overall. Then there was just kind of like a, almost like an oversaturation that happened for a bit. And then things started going downward. Um, but milestone comics actually made a resurgence probably about I'm trying to think maybe, maybe about three or four years ago. And they started kind of creating and stuff a bit more. Uh, The great thing about Milestone is that a lot of those marginalized creators that worked on those comics back in the 90s just went on to have really great and successful careers. And uh, and Micheline Hess is actually one of those people who has built her own independent comic career in her own right. And that's why I'm so interested in speaking with her. Um, I had actually picked up one of Micheline's comics online. Like I saw her in a list of just Black women comic creators that you should know and need to follow. And I was looking at a way to be able to introduce my girls to the world of comics. And so I'm like, okay, who are some black women like 
YA comic creators. And I saw her on that list in Madison Ovenland. Look really interesting. It's about this uh, kid who gets tasked with having to clean her oven, which is like probably the worst uh, summer vacation task you could get. And she ends up going on a deep dive inside of her oven and finding like this whole other like weird and kind of gross and wacky fantasy land. Um, I love the artwork immediately on the front cover. Like my kids were drawn to it. They were like, oh, well, she looks like us. She kind of has these Afro looking ponytails and such. And I just really fell in love with her, with her storytelling. And I just wanted to read everything that she had out there. Um, so I got a chance to interview her for a for a magazine that's now defunct a few years ago. <laughs> and she was one of the first people that I thought of when I was like, okay, who do I want to be able to talk to and just ask about their time at Milestone? Because we talked pretty heavily about Malison Ovenland, but we didn't get a chance to talk about her Milestone career at all and kind of how that shaped her as a creator. So I was able to get in contact with her and she was more than willing to be able to, to speak of her experience there, which is so cool. Like, yeah. Yeah, like you can talk about the, you know, talk about the comics and talk about the characters and you can read a whole bunch of information. I mean, it's it's out there everywhere, but to get a chance to actually speak with someone who was in the room and actually working on these different projects is pretty cool. Yeah, and and like, you know, one of the the things about Milestone that I think is so interesting and great is that like, you know, there had been um black superhero characters before, but they were all I mean, even the good ones were like very gimmicky, or at least from yeah, their outset. Yeah. Like, you can't see a character named Black Panther who began in the '70s and not think, "Well, this is clearly a a, a riff on something." Yeah. Um, and that's because so many of those were like, "Well, we, you know, even even from the best of intentions, they were still characters created by white creators, and like, right. it's only through that lens that they don't have." And so when Milestone, yeah, started, it was it was very much like. Uh, it was an entirely black run mm-hmm. organization and, uh, and, you know, and Micheline talks about this in, in your interview, like everybody there was black and had the same sort of, not the same frame of references entirely, but like, we're all kind of approaching it from the same direction, which I think is, you know, and it's ex- extra awesome that then a lot of those characters now have been woven into like the main proper DC comics. Yeah. You know, the fact that static shock got a, was part of the DC uh, animated universe back in the in the early 2000s like mm-hmm. that is very rare at the time for a character like that to get a couple of seasons um yeah and that was actually my gateway into milestone comics mm, because i yeah. saw that series and i wanted to know more about this character and so uh, you know i went out digging and you know digging and searching it was a little bit harder to find things <laughs> back then than it is now but you know when i when i got my hands on you know a couple of issues i was like wow like this these characters feel authentic and and real and you can tell that they were written by people who understand you know what it what it means to be black and what it means to experience the world through you know through our lens like i said like there's definitely more people of color just across the board and and women of color too Mm -hmm. um creating comics but that was a very that was a very much a rarity when milestone started and and yeah. Women of color, especially. And so that's, yeah, like, was really cool that. And Micheline has such an interesting story, which you'll hear in a moment, folks. But, like, like started with comics, then stopped for a long time, went and did, like, fine art, basically, training, and then came yeah. back to comics. And that's, yeah. Um, what What is something, well, I guess we could talk about it at the end. But what's something that you didn't know about just the, the industry, I guess, uh, before you talked to her? Yeah, I mean, I just, I was just really curious about the, how she felt about being a part of that collective, especially with it being started by, you know, kind of male centric and male run. 
um, you know, and I asked her a little bit about this or whatever, because I was just curious. And, you know, I brought it up in our interview about how she felt in that space as a woman back then, because I know now, I mean, women in, you know, especially geek and nerd spaces, like we have to go through a lot to be able to be, you know, be recognized and to be seen and to be heard sometimes. Um, and so I just wanted to know what her experience, you know, was like there. And I was really glad, you know, really thrilled that it was a good one and a positive one. And that's kind of like the resounding thing that I've seen and read when people are talking about their experience at Milestone, that it felt really collaborative and that like Dwayne and Derek like would come and like sit in the bullpen and and work with people. And, you know, it wasn't like they were sitting, they were some big wigs sitting up in an office somewhere and expecting, you know, the minions under them to to get the work done or whatever. They were a part of the work and a part of the process, you know, every step of the way. And I just thought that was really, that was super dope. It, it's awesome to really think about Milestone and how much its legacy is still kind of resonating today, you know, like DC Comics just started a couple of years ago, their Milestone initiative. So mm. basically you have di- diverse creatives and they don't have to be black, just somebody that's kind of from a marginalized background who are able to submit in their work. And if you're chosen, you get a chance to come out to this summit that DC holds where you'll get a chance to get like intensive training and development to really be able to upgrade your craft, whether you're a colorist, whether you're just a general like penciler, whether you're an inker, whether you're a writer, you know, no matter what you do in the comics industry, they'll give them a platform and give them a chance to be able to get their work out there in front of people. And that's them honoring the legacy that these guys set up with, you know, with Milestone Media like today. So it's really dope of how it's resonating 30 something years later. Yeah. And especially considering, you know, the great Dwayne McDuffie has since passed away. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's very it's a great it's a great legacy, like you said, like for for his work and all the work of, of them who started Milestone. Yeah. Um, all right, folks. Well, uh, now you're going to listen to Ty uh, talk to Micheline Hess. It's a really great discussion. And then uh, Ty and I will be back to uh, to wrap things up. But uh, yeah, take it away, Ty, who's in the past. Hi, I'm Ty Gooden, the Features Editor at Nerdist, and this episode of Laser Focus is about celebrating Black comic history. So today I'm chatting with Micheline Hess, a comic artist and creator whose works include Malice in Ovenland and Diary of a Mad Black Werewolf. Prior to building an independent comic career, Micheline got her start in the comics industry as a colorist for Milestone Comics. I am so, so thrilled to have you here and to be speaking with you today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me on. Uh, It's really great to be here today. Awesome. Awesome. So before we get into your milestone career and all the wonderful things you've done beyond that, let's go back to your childhood. What was your gateway into the world of comics? Uh, The closet door and a purple marker. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was I was I started off I'm Amazingly, I lived to tell the tale. Uh, my mother was a teacher, however, and she saw mm-hmm. that I had a, a liking for drawing. And so she would bring home supplies quite often. She would bring home colored paper and pencils and markers and things. And um, that stayed with me. I just, my brother also has a, a natural inclination towards it. Uh, and then when I was in middle school, uh, I was, it was really getting out of control. My, my teacher, pulled my mom aside in the fifth grade and she was like, Miss Hess, you have to find an outlet for your daughter. So <laughs> she signed me up at the uh, the um, Art Students League of New York and I started going there on Saturdays and I would uh, draw still lifes, I would draw models and things like that. And I yeah. still drew all over my homework and all over like my desk, but, but it was a really, really great 
experience to have that as part of my life. And I'm eternally glad that my mom, despite being um, from a part of the world, she grew up in the West Indies and it was kind of a place where, you know, you, ha- you grow up, you have a trade, like you don't really encourage, you know, the arts in quotes and things like that. You, you're right, a lawyer, right. you're a doctor. So she never tried to squash that. You know what I mean? She always tried to to encourage it and nurture it. So, yeah. I love my that. father put me onto cartoons too, by the way. Well, comics, as it were. It's all his. Oh fault. wow! Yeah, yeah. So, what kind of comics did your dad uh, introduce you to? Well, he would uh, he would travel. He would he was a businessman, and his work would take him to different parts of the world. And he would come back a lot of times with these comics, like uh, Lucky Luke uh, was one. It's like a cowboy okay. and his talking horse, and uh, Piff. It was a dog and Hercule and. Um, there was Tintin or Tintin, uh, you know, sometimes he would bring me these jumbo comics. One of the best ones was this jumbo Wonder Woman comic. And it was, it was like giant, oh, cool. you know, and I just yeah. I adored that thing so much. I barely cared about Wonder Woman. Actually, I was more interested in, the, in all the horses that were, and then some of the Amazons were riding these giant kangaroos and I was like, wow. But then sometimes I would also tail my brother to the, the candy star on the corner. We lived in Flatbush at that time. And I would okay. buy comic books. And there was like also Wendy the Witch and, uh, you know, Little Devil and things like that. Yeah, that's lovely. So did you end up going to college and studying, getting any kind of degree in like art or how did your art career progress from that point forward? <laughs> it's an interesting, uh, yeah, it was non as nonlinear as you could, as you could hope not to be. Um, okay. I went to college. I went to Sarah Lawrence College. Um, it was a really amazing, amazing experience. I came out of there with a Bachelor of Fine Arts, and okay. I had no idea what to do with it or what to do with myself. I had no plan. Um, mm-hmm. In that respect, it was kind of rough. I was already having, you know, the debt. Although at that time, I was in a place where I, I you know, I was just in a whole other mental space. I was just like, yeah. Debt? Oh, that, uh, oh, it's going into arrears. Oh, that's um. So, I ended up getting a job at uh, a gift the the museum gift shop, the Guggenheim gift shop on uh, Broadway, which is now the okay. Prada store. And I started working there. Um, much to my mom's chagrin, I think she kind of had more hopes to me. My father had passed away at that point. Um, yeah, but I was working in retail, and. Uh, yeah, I just fell into a, a, I don't know, a rhythm that was just very get up, go to work, don't yeah. have to really produce anything and just come home and just be miserable. Um, and then one point my mother told me that Milestone Comics was uh, was was looking for, for people. And yeah. I was like, oh my God. And at that point, all I had is, as far as a computer, I had a Power Mac 120, which I think was the only time they were uh, producing Macintosh clones. Um, and it's like 120 megahertz, which is just like, you know, insert fart sound here, but that's what I had. (laughs) And I created a semblance of a portfolio and I just kind of hung out there, you know, and was very persistent. As a matter of fact, I quit my job the same day I decided to do that. So I don't know if that's something I I would necessarily recommend. Um, (laughs) I just kind of did it. Uh, and they were like, oh, bye. And so I went and I got a job as a colorist at Milestone and I was training under Jason Scott Jones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he taught me it was it was an interesting 
the, the, everything was hand painted, you know, and everything looked like watercolor, but the paint behaved like permanent marker. So there was definitely like an art to using them. Um, So I learned a lot with him and um, it was, it was incredible. I, 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 I actually thought I'd kind of made it, you know, I was like, well, here I am. This is, this is it, you know? (laughs) And then I got laid off like, uh, less than a year later because uh, things were starting to fold under the weight of, of the pressure that DC was putting on the company. Right, right. Yeah. So even though your time there was short, you know, tell me kind of what your experience was like overall. What was the collaborative process there? Did you get a chance to really work with a lot of people or what was it like to actually be in that environment? It was, uh, it was, it was amazing. Um, for one thing, there were black folk everywhere, and that was really exciting. And there were black yeah. folk everywhere creating characters who were, you know, black and all different ethnicities. There were women there. Um, and it was the, the vibe was just, a, it was a really kind of familial sort of vibe. Um, yeah. I never felt like, you know, people were trying to kind of keep me in a you know, a box or, or put me anywhere. Um, and I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot just about like the whole, the whole process. I've never, I never even saw myself ending up there. And I also mm-hmm. remember just being really, really proud, um, because I was doing that. Uh, it was tough at the time because image comics was really hot back then. And mm-hmm. I think that the the popular way of coloring comics was using digital process and using these really bright gradients and, you know, the colors were really powerful and dynamic. And I think that was hard. That was a hard thing to go against um, because pe- it was very attractive, you know, and it. It instantly yeah. kind of grab your, your, so I think I think in a lot of ways, people after things went down, like people came to sort of appreciate the hand coloring process a lot more because it was also very unique. Um, And yeah, it was just it was amazing to come into work and be like, I'm going to paint today and I'm going to get paid for it. And that was really awesome. And not just painting, but painting characters that looked like me and looked like my friends, you know, with stories that were relatable and powerful um yeah so in this way it was very dreamlike yeah I love that and I I love specifically that you said you felt you know comfortable and accepted of being yourself you know I know women a lot of times especially those of us that kind of work in like the geek nerd sphere we feel like we always have to fight for like a place where we belong and fight for recognition and like fair treatment and stuff so that's awesome that you got a chance to actually experience that in that space yeah. yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was brief. Um, and you know, in, in that time, yeah, I've worked in, in other, uh, tech spaces and tech design spaces and I have come up against that whole, like, you know, ma'am, the dilithium crystals in this, you know, computer aren't working. It's like, you can tell me what's wrong. Like I'll understand it. Um, right. scenarios. Yeah. So yeah. And it's kind of a wistful feeling, or it could be entirely possible that, I was just so kind of high on the thrill of it all. I didn't necessarily <laughs> see all of it. Um, yeah. That's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Was... So 
once you left Milestone and kind of went on to start doing your own thing as an independent creative, how did the skills and things you learned there help to really shape in and sharpen you as an artist? You know, it's funny. Um, after I left Milestone, I went right back to the same cash register I was standing behind before. Wow. <laughs> the same one. Um, they very nicely took me back, even though I just walked out the last time. <laughs> and Especially if I, you quit on the spot. Yeah. I, yeah. I was like, hey. <laughs> um, what was... What actually really changed things, because after I went to Milestone, I, I didn't think about comics. I was very jaded. And that plus like things going on in my home life, it, I just felt like I had failed, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So during that time, I had begun to become re reinterested in Japanese animation. And okay. uh, at that point, it wasn't as it wasn't as ubiquitous it is now to every store or every online you know if you were buying like i was ordering vhs tapes bootleg vhs tapes from like california because like that oh, yeah. was the only where place it was coming from at one point and then i met these guys who was tokyo and brooklyn who were selling them down by the dmv there um and then i started playing video games that were japanese and i got my playstation chipped at this place called well, I don't know if I can give the name, but it was a PS1 and they put this chip in it that allows you to play import games, but I couldn't read the text, you know? So I was like, what's mm -hmm. going on, you know, with adventure with like, uh, you know, more advanced things, there was more dialogue and I was just completely clueless. So I started taking classes at the place upstairs from um, the store, which was the Tenry Tenry Cultural Institute, and they were giving mm -hmm. Japanese lessons. And so That's I cool. went there. Yeah, I went there after work a couple, a few times a week. And then in my second semester, they had like this offering where they would, if you could cover your ticket and like meals, you could go on like this three week trip to Japan, and they would put you up. And wow. you know, yeah, it was great. And so yeah. I was like, oh my god. Like that was the only thing that mattered to me in life was that trip. And so I worked and I saved my money. I didn't buy anything. I didn't buy any games. I didn't buy any crap. Um, and, uh, and I went on that trip and it was, it was such a, a, a shift in my perspective that when I came back mm -hmm. three weeks later and I was sitting outside and I was just like, what the hell am I doing here? Um, so I started trying other things like I don't have to be here. This is ridiculous. After everything I went through on this trip and everything I accomplished, I can definitely take this further. So yeah, yeah. I downloaded. Uh, I downloaded back then. Uh, there's a program Flash. There was actually back then there was a company called Macromedia, and they put mm -hmm. out like Dreamweaver and Flash. And and so I downloaded. <laughs> I downloaded Flash on a dial-up, and I started teaching myself how to do animation with this app with this application. And I started using it and using it. And so through that, I got a, another, got my first internet job, my first new media job. Um, cool. And that was up in North White Plains. And I had to take like three trains. Back in my day, I took three oh trains to get there. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I would literally end up in Valhalla if I took the wrong train. So oh no, yeah, that was um, through that. I And after that, it was sort of a springboard because at the same time, the, the tech bubble was was growing. And so you could get these jobs in so many different places and they'd pay you a mint, you know? And, right, yeah. and that's that's where I that's what I ended up doing for a little while. 
but I didn't start comics until around 2010. And, uh, I, at that point I had actually gone back to school. I went back to, I went to Parsons and I got a master's in design and technology. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I started doing games like, uh, casual gaming that they used to have for, for sites like Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. And I was designing games for them. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then I ended up at Nickelodeon and I, I was, I very aggressively pursued the job of senior designer for their marketing department. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, <laughs> I was like looking up names and being like, Hey, so we're on the street is you're the director of such and such. I, I don't know who that person was, but I, I greatly adm- admire her from afar. <laughs> so, um, yeah, oh I got gosh, a job awesome. there and I, yeah. I got to. I was like, things were changing. I had been there for maybe a year and change, maybe two years and change. And it was at a point where I was starting to get a little bored. Um, They were, they were, they were gradually um, cutting down on the kinds of interactivity that they were building into um, like the stuff that I was designing. So we Mm -hmm. used to, I, since I was in marketing, I would do a lot of pages for like, um, sponsored websites so like one time i designed a a a promotional site for the game clue so they had this upgraded version of their game for dvd and um so with this version you could solve a very simple mystery and there was like you know those uh those magnifying glasses with like the red ruby lith and you could see different things so we so me and this the, the developer his name was felipe uh anyway he um he coded that and we presented that like at the annual, not the annual, but like the monthly, what you got going on in your department meeting. And people loved it so much. My boss got a promotion. Um, I got not much. Wow. Um, <laughs> she, you know, they, they started taking away those kinds of things. And that's when I started doing Malice in Ovenland because I didn't want to get to a point where I was like, you know, I could have been a great comic book artist, you know, See, that's nice. Yeah. Take your medication. Um, so I started drawing, I started using a comic pages, 11 by 17 pages and mm-hmm. uh, micron pens. And um, yeah, I made the first issue and I published it myself and I got it printed and yeah, it was all up and down and sideways and everywhere from there. Yeah, I love that. Malice in Overland is probably one of my favorite like uh, YA like graphic novels. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've read it a few times. I've got it. I've got it home. Uh, share it. Share it with my kids and everything. So oh, we enjoy right. that one so much. Yeah, I and I noticed that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I noticed that a lot of your work is very like YA focused for you know for the most part. Why did you really choose to do that specific arena or target that audience? Um. I, you know, as going back to when my father would bring me those comic books, um, Mm -hmm. I always enjoyed them, but every so often you would see characters who were black or, you know, African and they, they weren't illustrated in the most complimentary way. Uh, and I don't even think that was something that I, I was truly cognizant of at that age, but you would just look at the black person they drew and be like, wow, why are his lips like that? You know? Um, so I guess it's, it's really a matter of creating what I want to see, you know, that's first and foremost. Um, yeah, I, I love the idea of having, especially like 
fantasy adventures. That's my favorite with like magic and passageways and things like that. I just love the idea of black kids seeing their themselves mirrored in those those characters and being like, hey, we can go on adventures too. Like not every one of our stories has to be rooted in trauma or, Mm -hmm. you know, poverty or, you know, not to say that those things don't exist, but like, why can't we just like have an adventure the way other characters do, you know, where we live in a nice house and we have a nice room and, you know, something happens and we go somewhere, you know, and maybe things get scary, but no one ever dies, you know, and it's going to be okay in the end, you know, Um, I just really like those things. I like, there's a certain comfort in that for me. And so, yeah, I like telling those kinds of stories, stories with friendship and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, I mean, even for me, they, Mouse and Ovenland like resonated as an adult because we all have that, you know, that bit of escapism that we want to have and, and wanderlust and, you know, thinking about what's, what's beyond what we know and what could happen. I mean, can you imagine traveling into your oven and going on this, you know, going on this great weird adventure? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and, I love you that. Know, you meet new new people. <laughs> you meet more <laughs> friends, you know, and you yeah, land in a giant pool of grease. But um <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I liked. And I, I also incorporated aspects of um something my mom would do when I was a kid in the summertime to keep me from getting bored. She would give me things to do. And one of the things to do is take water to the garden because we had like a community garden and the water system was always going down. So in the yeah. beginning, like that hauling like gallon jugs to the garden was, it's, it's based on an actual story. Wow. <laughs> and, um, yeah. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was like, Oh, this is so, you know, now I kind of wish I had my own garden. I would love to do stuff like that, but yeah. Love she it. was love always it. trying to steer me towards healthier food. So there's some of that in there. Yeah. Little bits. Yeah. Of me. That's cool. Cool that you could put in some of your own experiences. Mm-hmm. So like you've been in the comics industry, of course, for, uh, for a while now, how do you think um, the industry has evolved creatively for the better since you, since you've joined it? Um, I think the way it's improved for the better is that there's so many more avenues by which you can get your story out there. And I think that's yeah. amazing. You can have a Patreon, you can have your own website, you can, you know, one of the things that, that I love about using um, the iPad also, I use that as my primary means of creating stuff. And it's great because a lot of times, like when I was creating the remaining three uh, issues of Malice and Ovenland, you know, I would work mm-hmm. all day at an ad agency and have to come home and then be sitting up at a table and just being like, <laughs> um, so I liked, I like being able to like sit on the couch and have the iPad there, get in bed, have the iPad there, you know, yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's like, wow. Um, so and, and then the apps that they have out now, you can model in 3D, you can animate, you know, they have these really cheap things. You can create whole animations, you can mix your own sound, you can record, you can, you can have like a full animation studio right there. Um, of course, that providing you have the means to acquire the technology. But a lot of these things you can even do on your phone. Um, yeah. So I like that there's there are more mechanisms by which we can create and create really dynamic, you know, stories 
Um, and I like that there are more avenues to kind of disperse it. You can publish your book on Amazon, you know, you can join groups and you can, uh, you know, get feedback from people who look at your stuff. You can print your own thing. You can, you know, there's a lot of different, uh, of ways, you know, yeah. and if you, if you're really wanting to get your stuff out there, 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 you have a lot to choose from. Yeah. Are there simpler things that maybe you miss that have fallen by the wayside over the years? <laughs> you know, I would like to say sleep, but the fact is I work <laughs> really hard to, to like sleep, to, to get good sleep. Um, yeah. You know, people are like, oh, you got to hustle. Yeah. Sleep. What's that? <laughs> you know, and then, you know, yeah. the next day you see on Facebook, you know, Elmer, Elmer passed away yesterday. I don't know what happened. You know, so I'm trying she, to kind she of find herself. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's no there's no prize for that. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, just trying to find balance. Um, what do I. Yeah, I think I think that's really it I'll probably come up with something else at like 4:30 a.m. It's like <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> That's how it always works. You come up with this yeah. this genius thing. It's like gosh, I wish I should have said that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, sleep is sleep is paramount. I mean, especially in any kind of creative space. I mean, I work in a different type of creative space, but yeah, you definitely have to take take care of yourself and I mean, like you said with new new tools that can help uh, making comic creation easier and, you know, and quicker and more convenient for you. I mean, I'm sure that absolutely, absolutely helps with being able to produce at the level that you want to without completely burning yourself out. Yeah. And there's also a lot of education, education materials too. There's books mm -hmm. you can buy. Um, there's eBooks you can buy and then tons of stuff online um, that you can reference as far as like, if you're in, into the storytelling side of it, or yeah. if you're more into the drawing side of it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really fantastic. I'm a little bit jealous, honestly. People have so many yeah. things they can look at. But the good thing about it is, is having access to that, those resources, that material that helps to break down some of the gates that may have been keeping people out. I mean, you had, of course, like Milestone and, you know, certain things like that that were able to open it up only for some, but that's still a very small subset of so yeah. many people that want to be able to create, you know, create comics. Yeah. And it's still really small, you know, and it's, it's mm -hmm. also, you know, when I see the kind of pushback, I, I, you know, you see it on like when, when movies come out, you know, when black characters are being introduced and things like that. And it's like, shut up. You know what I mean? <laughs> what does this have to be a black character? And it's like you've had. Imagine if you grew up in a world where where white characters were like few to none, like your whole mm -hmm. nerd life, right? Right. Comics, You're not the standard. Movies, yeah. TV shows. You just almost never saw your own someone who looked like you. You know, right? It's and it's it's impossible for a lot of people to envision that because it's so ingrained. Right. Even yeah. Now. They're used to being the standard. Um, yes. And, you know, that's why it, it's kind of hard to hear a conversation or hear someone say, well, I don't think that I would be able to identify with this character because they're they're black or because they're somebody from another marginalized group. When it's like, that's what I grew up doing they're, my my yeah. whole life. Yeah. Your entire yeah, there life. People. I mean, like, even yeah. with, the, you know, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving right. special or Franklin was like, you know, so yeah. there's always some kind of thematic, you know, yeah. underpinning or something that can resonate with just about everybody. Yeah. 
So there's really no excuse. The, the, really the no only excuse. The, what, mean, you're, what you're saying is something that's different that maybe you shouldn't yeah. be saying. And I mean, thank, thankfully, we had things like Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, but you know, even that has a, a kind of patina on it now. That, yeah. You know, it's just like, oh man. It is I think for we sure. A good lesson today, you know, at the end of the episode. <laughs> it's like, mm. So <laughs> did we? Yeah, did we now? Did we really? <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I, like, I, I'm glad that there, there are more, you know, more, uh, tools of the trade that people can use and more avenues because we need that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you have any product projects that you have coming up that you'd like to talk yeah. about or that you can um, talk about? I got I'm so I, curious. one that I can <laughs> talk about. It's not, I, I illustrated it. Uh, I didn't write it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's called Mia and Friends. I think it'll be coming out this summer. And it's all about Mia nice. Hamm, who is the woman's forward for the U.S. soccer team back in the 90s. And mm -hmm. uh, it's a wonderful story. It's written by a woman named Carlin Gray. And it's all about how she came to love soccer. Uh, Mia, not Carlin. And how yeah. she, you know, came up in the team and everything. Very kind of a girl powery, you know, kind of feeling about it. Uh, yeah. It's my first... Um, I guess my first mainstream published work. So I'm really awesome. excited about that. Uh, and I do have other things in the work, but I, I cannot speak on them lest I be kidding. Mysterious. <laughs> Looking at my for thoughts. those who can't, for those who can't see, which is everybody except for me. Uh, <laughs> she, she just looked over her shoulder for, <laughs> no one. For someone mysterious creeping up on her, just in case she speaks of something that she shouldn't speak of. <laughs> oh, actually, no, that's not entirely true. I'm lying. Um, oh. I'm working on an entry in the Shook and Shook Volume Two anthology, which is all mm -hmm. uh, Black female uh, creators, writers, and illustrators, and it's all horror. Um, oh, that's dope. So, yes, I'm yeah. almost done with my story for that. It's going to be called uh, God's Blood We Deliver, and it's about an older woman who goes from being a lunch lady at school to riding an electric unicycle and delivering much needed uh, medical supplies to people during the, well, I call them zombies because they're kind of vampire and zombies all in one, but the, the zombie yeah, yeah. apocalypse. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. Like I just, I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that there are folks out there like you that are just creating wonderful things for, for people um, of all backgrounds to be able to enjoy. Uh, I don't know if you want to be found on the internet or found on <laughs> socials, but if you if would you like to share to those things, please me. do. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, my Instagram is mishmash arts, M I C H M A S H A R T S. And my website is the same, uh, www.mishmasharts.com. You can find out what I'm doing. I'm most often posting stuff uh, on on Instagram, all kinds of uh, cartoons and silly musings and photographs and things. So, yeah, check me awesome. out there, please. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much, Michelina. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Ty, for having me on today. I appreciate it, too. That was great. Micheline is such a delight to listen to. I just kind of sat in the corner and listened and it was really fascinating. Um, She's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks for setting this up, Ty. That was that was uh, really great. And I'm glad that uh, that 
you had the time to do it, but also that Micheline had the time to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, you, you've, for the last several years when you've been features editor, even before your features editor, when you were, uh, what was your title before? I was contributing editor. <laughs> contributing editor. <laughs> um, but you've really spearheaded, you know, every February Nerdist kind of tackling um, Black History Month, like nerd mm-hmm. pieces. Um, and this year is no different. You can actually go back and read a ton of pieces that both Ty and uh, several of our um, freelance writers have commissioned over the years. Um, but what do you have in the works or on the website this year for people to read if they want to keep reading more about of your work, but also about um, Black content creators? Yeah, so I've actually, um, there's a post that's actually live right now that's about Nightlight Podcast. Um, and they are a Black-led and black uh created horror podcast audio so a lot of audio dramas and everything there i got a chance to speak with uh with tonya ransom who is the creator of nightlight podcast and we just talked about kind of her her uh horror cred and growing up a horror fan and how she ended up creating her own podcast and commissioning work and commissioning stories and really bringing those out to the masses in an audio format um so that post is really awesome i am also working on a black exploitation post that will follow the history of horror through that. I'm just, I'm in a really horror mood. <laughs> As we this, all this, are most of the yeah. time. I am most of the time, but I'm like, yeah, this, this February, I definitely want to look at black history and, and horror. Cause I mean, they, you know, they just, there's so much inter, intertwining there mm. between our overall history and, and horror and how it affects, uh, how it's affected things from that point forward. So I'm just always really excited. I got a freelance piece. That's uh, a freelancer has a piece that's coming up too. That'll be really awesome. That's kind of in the, um, that's in the anime vein of things. So yeah. another good, another good Black History Month. Absolutely. Um, you can find all of that, of course, at Nerdist.com. Um, and yeah, Ty, uh, you've plugged it before, but your uh, your handles are writer Ty Gooden, right? Most places? Yes. Um, I am writer Ty Gooden on Instagram. And that's a fun place to find me because I post a lot of random stories there. Yeah. I mean, we should just say like, you got to go to the premiere of uh, the new Walking Dead spinoff, the the Rashon spinoff, and that. Yes. Uh, so we we got to hang out for a little bit here in LA, but um, you got to go hang out with like Famos. <laughs> I did. It was it was so awesome. I'm really really excited about the ones who live. Like I've been. I mean, I've talked about this in previous episodes before, but I was a Walking Dead comics fan. I've watched uh, the TV shows, watched the spinoffs been in that that whole sphere and that fandom for a really long time so it, it felt amazing to be able to be at the premiere and get a chance to meet folks and actually like I had seen the um first episode uh because I got a screener ahead of time but watching it on the big screen like with everyone in the room and people's first reactions to some big moments that happened there was just it was absolutely incredible like I had the best time and you of course can uh, read uh all of Ty's coverage of uh the ones who live that's what it's called, right? Yes. Like, you just said it, and I was like, well, that can't be right. Um, uh, coming up soon. Yeah, because that premieres uh, at the end of February. Yep, February 25th. Um, yeah, man. Uh, well, thank you very much, Ty. Thanks so much for setting this up. I'm really glad that worked out. And, uh, you know, feel free to come back literally all the time, because that's the way the show works. <laughs> thank you. Uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please join me again next time on Laser Focus, when my guest and guests might be a different person. Goodbye. Laser Focus is a production of Nerdist Industries and Legendary Digital Networks. It was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kyle Anderson. For more, visit Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com